Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So uh, you know this already, I think, but during January and February, uh, we're walking through the book of Genesis together. So all the way through, it's 50 chapters. Uh, So far, we've covered the creation narratives, uh, the fall of humankind, and then the kind of subsequent unraveling of the world that happens afterwards, the uh, the Cain and Abel story, uh, the story of the flood where much or all of the world is destroyed, and the story of the Tower of Babel where the people are scattered uh, and, and begin to speak different languages. It's the unraveling that happens after Adam and Eve decide to not listen to the voice of love that tells them that they are worthy and loved and enough. And so uh, that those first... Um, 11 chapters. It's pretty intense stuff. It's, it's pretty heavy and it's important. And today we're going to move into chapter 12. Uh, and this is the call of Abram. He's not Abraham yet. We'll get there. This is the call of Abram. And it's really a turning point in the story in the book of Genesis. So um, chapters 1 through 11 are about the whole world, like everything in the world. How did everything get here? And then when you get to chapter 12 and you get the call of Abram, you start to zoom in on this one family, on Father Abraham, and how this one family turns into the nation of Israel and the people of God. So we're zooming in. So it starts really broad, and then starting in chapter 12, it zooms all the way in on this one family. And so before we get into that passage in Genesis 12, I just want to offer a little bit of a framework for thinking about uh, where we've been so far. Kind of a, a, a cycle, right? So we've covered goodness and shame and unraveling, but there's this cycle. And there's really a cycle in the entire Bible and really a cycle to our entire lives and really a cycle to the entire universe that might be helpful for us. And the cycle is this, order, disorder, reorder. Order, disorder, reorder. So God creates the world in perfect order. He orders the world out of chaos. And then Adam and Eve make this decision to listen to the voice of shame that tells them they need to be something different, and the world begins to be disordered. And then as God sends them out to be fruitful and multiply and set up this new humanity in the world outside of the garden, it's an attempt at reordering the world. And then out of that reordering, you get the corruption and violence of humanity that you see in the murder of Abel, that you see happening around just before the flood. It's disorder again. And then through the flood, it's an attempt to reorder the world through Noah's family. It's disorder and then reorder. Or maybe it would be helpful to use words like creation, destruction, and recreation. Right? Because God is always recreating in our world and then inviting us, inviting humanity into the work of co-creating. Or maybe more fitting for us as we think about our world and the whole Bible, our lives, our universe, we could use the words like life, death, and resurrection. That everything in the world is resurrecting. And that in every moment of death, in every moment of disorder, in every moment of destruction, there is reorder, there is recreation, there is resurrection coming. And we're invited into that work of co-creating, of co-resurrecting with God. And so today, as we look at this passage in Genesis 12, 
This is another chance at reordering the world, at recreating what God wants, at, at, at resurrecting God's people. And he decides in Genesis chapter 12, God decides that he's just going to call this one man and this one family to do this work of reordering and recreating. So this is what it says in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out to, from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So this is part of God's reordering, recreating. God is calling, choosing a specific person, a specific family, to do his work of co-creating in the world. And the work of co-creating is this, in verse 3. Uh, God's going to bless uh, those who bless Abram and curse those who, who curse them, so that all people on earth will be blessed through you. All people on earth will be blessed through you. That's the reordering, recreation, resurrecting story of Abram. All people will be blessed through you. And this is meant to be, Genesis chapter 12, this passage, these, this phrase right here, this is meant to be the foundational idea, the original plan, the first mission of God's people. Be a blessing for everyone. Bless everyone. Bless everyone. This is meant to be the way in which uh, God's people mark their faithfulness. Are we being faithful to God? Well, are we blessing everyone? This was the original plan. This is the foundational idea. This is the first mission. Bless everyone. And, and the, the Bible uses language like this a lot. All people. So it's to bless all people of the earth. All people. Which people? Maybe you just need to say it out loud today. All people. And the Bible uses this language a lot. Like a, a lot. To talk about all people being saved. All people being blessed all people being our neighbor, everyone, all. It comes up a lot. And I think automatically we read in a little subtext. We add in a, a, a little phrase in, in parentheses, like, well, not everybody. We add a little wink at the end of it, you know? It was a bless all people, but like, you know what I mean. But I just want to be as clear as I can. There is no wink. There is no subtext. There's no asterisks. There's nothing in parentheses here. It's bless all people. That's it. That's the original mission, the first idea, the foundational uh, truth of God's people. What are God's people supposed to do? Bless everyone. Before there's a fancy sacrificial system, before there's a temple, before there's judges and kings, this is the idea. Bless everyone. And it's meant to be this standard, this test that God's people use to determine how faithful they're being. And so if, if you could just take a minute and think, well, how did God's people do? Maybe you, some ideas come up in your mind, but how did God's people do at blessing everyone? Well, they didn't do that well. 
this was the foundational idea. This was the point, uh, but they didn't do a very good job at it. Uh, they started, you know, they, when they became a nation, they decided to enslave other people, practice really intense nationalism, ultimately some racism as a part of their nationalism. There, there are these little glimpses in the Bible of this original plan of blessing everyone. There's little glimpses, but on the whole, uh, they turned very insular, very about protecting themselves. It was fear and scarcity. And by the time we get to the prophets, we see a clear critique of them not doing what the original plan was. We get uh, passages like Isaiah 58, the prophet says in verse 5, Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want, says the Lord. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Do you hear what Isaiah is saying here? Stop with your religious posturing. Stop with the religious language, the fasting. Quit all that and just start blessing everyone. Include everyone in the blessing and the love of God. Everyone should be included. The hungry, the poor, the oppressed, the imprisoned, everyone gets included in the blessing and the love of God. It's a critique of the Israelites not doing the original plan, the first mission, the foundational idea. They didn't follow through on it. And by the time we get to the prophets in the Bible, they start saying, what are you guys doing? You've built temples. You've created a nation. You've made your life comfortable, but you haven't done the first idea. You haven't fulfilled the original mission, the first plan, bless all people. It's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10. You know this story. When the relig religious leaders of his day ask him how to get, how to inherit that eternal life that Jesus has been talking about, and Jesus says, well, you should love God and you should love your neighbor. And those religious leaders, they try to add in their own wink-wink subtext to it, and they say, well, who's my neighbor? Well, who's my neighbor? I got, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story about a Jewish man who's beaten, robbed, and left on the side of the road. And there's a couple of religious leaders, a priest and a Levite, who step over that man instead of helping him. They also leave him for dead. But eventually, a Samaritan comes. Samaritans were hated. Uh, second, third, fourth class citizens, the bottom of kind of the social ladder, the Samaritan comes and helps the man. At the end of the story, Jesus says, do you know who the neighbor is? The neighbor is the Samaritan. The neighbor is the Samaritan. So who do we love? Well, we love the people furthest away. We, we love the people the least included. Who, who do we bless? That person way over there that hasn't gotten in on the blessing yet. The people traditionally marginalized, left out. That's who gets the blessing. You see what Jesus is saying? It's the same thing. He's just reiterating the original plan. Love your neighbor. And who's your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. The person furthest away from the love of God. The, the, the person who is the least included. That's your neighbor. Love everybody. Jesus is just reiterating the original plan. The foundational idea from Genesis 12. It's always been the idea. Love everyone. Everyone gets to be included in the love and the blessing of God. 
So we know the Israelites didn't do great at it. I wonder how we're doing. I wonder how we're doing. I think we have some of those, of those kind of similar issues to the Israelites. I don't think it's exactly the same, but I think our uh, tribalism leads to gatekeeping. So we really like to be right. I really like to be right. I like to be right. And I think you do too. But sometimes in our pressure to feel right, and by the way, I know that someone told you at some point that it was very, very important to be right. And if you were wrong about some of this, the consequences were very, very heavy. So understand the need to, to be right. But sometimes in our pressure to, to feel right and to be right, our, our pressure to have certainty in our rightness, what happens is we need someone else to be wrong. So for us to be totally right, we have to find someone to be wrong. We need an other. Our rightness means we're in. And usually that means someone else is out. And I think our tribalism leads to this gatekeeping where we decide on our own who gets to be in and out, who's right enough to be a part of our tribe. But we're meant to bless everyone. There's no tribalism. The only reason we get a tribe, the only reason we have a community is so that we can invite more people into it. More blessing, more love, no scarcity. Everyone is included in the love and the blessing of God. So I wanted today to tell you a little bit of my own journey uh, towards a theology of inclusion. It's a thing we talk about around here a decent amount. So I just want to share a little bit about how I got there because I... Um, I am not a person who has been largely excluded from many groups. I'm a uh, you know, 30-year-old, uh, upper-middle-class, straight white male. Uh, I get the benefit of the doubt in pretty much every situation. And I grew up in a religious tradition uh, that wasn't overly concerned with including people who were traditionally excluded. And I was particularly included in my religious tradition. And so for a long time, I didn't put a very high priority on inclusion. And then on my journey, I started to learn a little bit. And I thought, well, maybe diversity uh, is important. But I got kind of diversity and inclusion mixed up a little bit. It, it's been said, maybe you've heard it, that diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. And I was, for a long time, I was comfortable with diversity. But I've said things like, there is a seat at the table for everyone. But the truth is, I still owned the table. I was open to diversity without inclusion. And ultimately, if you want diversity without inclusion, then all you really want is tokenism. And including people different than you with the hope that they become more like you isn't inclusion, it's manipulation. I'll say it again for myself, including people that aren't like you with the hope that they become more like you isn't inclusion, it's manipulation. The desire to be inclusive for me, the, de the desire to embrace kind of an inclusive theology um, started to shift for me in, in, through relationships and really started about five years ago. Um, I had lots of relationships that helped shape this for me, but uh, one in particular, I was working at a, at a different church at the time, serving 
And uh, I sat down with a friend who was in the LGBTQ plus community who was leaving the church that I was serving and leading in. And uh, they were gracious enough to sit down with me and share why they were leaving. And um, they told me their story. And they told me that our church, the one I was serving in and they were leaving, that our church had always said all are welcome. And so they just assumed that all really meant all. They didn't add any subtext. And so they served and they gave money and they made really deep relationships for 10 years. Served, gave money, built friendships. But in that time, they also found love. They decided to start a family. And then when it was time um, to stand in front of our community and dedicate that child, they were told, well, I don't know if that's going to work for a Sunday morning in front of everybody. And they realized that there was a ceiling to their inclusion, that they were invited for diversity, for tokenism, with the hope that they would become more like the majority But there was not really inclusion. And they hit the ceiling and it was so painful for them. They grieved that all didn't really mean all. And we sat together. And um, this friend sat across from me at a table and just cried about having to find a different church. Just cried. And I realized in that meeting that God was sitting on the other side of the table. That God wasn't with me protecting our rightness. That God was sitting on the other side, comforting, caring, loving, consoling, blessing. Because God is always with the hurt, the excluded, marginalized. Carlos Rodriguez says it like this, as soon as you draw a line to exclude people, Jesus goes to the other side of that line with them and invites you to join him there. So I just decided that I wasn't going to be a gatekeeper anymore, that I, I wasn't going uh, to defend my rightness. I wasn't going to be the person who drew a line or de- decided who was in or out. And I was just going to take the Bible at its word with no subtext for all those places that say all and everyone. No subtext, nothing in parentheses, no wink at the end. It just means everyone, that everyone gets to be blessed. Everyone gets to be included in the love of God. The call, the mission, the original plan from Genesis 12 to the, to the people of Israel through the family of Abram is this, bless everyone. Inclusion and blessing for everyone. So when you read a passage like this, do you add any subtext? Do you add any subtext? Maybe it's around the word all, right? That that do all people really get this blessing? The love of God, the presence of God. Maybe you have a person or a group of people that in your mind you just struggle to include. Maybe you have a little subtext around that word all. Like it's all, but not really all. Maybe you wonder if you're included in it. Uh, Maybe it's around the the word blessing. You say all people are meant to be blessed. Okay, well, it's easy to get caught in this trap of saying, well, what does blessing really mean? But here's the truth. I think we know what blessing means. I don't think we need a a big study on it. I think asking that question, uh, what does it really mean to bless everyone, 
is about like the religious leaders asking, well, who is my neighbor? Like, we just can't get out of this on a technicality. We're not going to get out of this on a technicality. You know what blessing means. It's love and kindness. It's care and graciousness, gentleness. Just go with the fruits of the Spirit if you don't know. Don't get out of this on a technicality. You know what blessing means. No subtext. Bless everyone. Then for you, are, are you a person who has been excluded? Are you a person who's been on the outside looking in? Maybe in a religious setting? You know, I don't think in that Good Samaritan story, I don't think it's an accident that Jesus has the religious leaders stepping over the man who's dying on the side of the road. I think he does that, one, because it's so common, and religious leaders like myself need a reminder to quit stepping over people who are hurting. I think, two, it's a way to just see those people who have been stepped over, over and over again, say that God sees you, God sees your story. So it's why, you know, we're hosting this event this uh, next on Sunday, this uh, spiritual abuse awareness and solidarity event. We say, let's just sit together for an hour, hear some stories and pray for one another and just say, hey, I've also been a person who's been stepped over and it really hurts. So maybe you're a person who's been excluded or been hurt, maybe in religious settings. Maybe you need to be reminded today that the blessing, the love is for you. This is really a simple passage. I've said too many words about it so far. This is a simple passage in Genesis. It is not overly complicated, and you shouldn't overcomplicate it. The mission is this. Include everyone in the blessing of God. Bless everyone. So in, in Genesis 12, we get this you know, simple passage. God calls Abram to leave his home because God wants to make Abram's family a blessing to everyone. And Abram does it. He sets out and he goes to the land of Canaan. He does it. And we're going to talk about his obedience a different week because that is a thing in and of itself. But Abram goes to the land of Canaan. But if you, if you flip back a page to Genesis chapter 11, it says in verse 31 that Terah took his son Abram. So Abram's father took Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. There's just a little, a, a little verse right before you get to the story of Abram. And the verse says this, Abram's dad was trying to go to Canaan too, but he stopped before he got there. Abram's dad was trying to get there, but he stopped short. He settled someplace else. So his family... The next generation, Abram, Lot, Sarai, they were called to go from where the dad had settled. The dad had stopped short. They were called to go from there and continue on to Canaan. The next generation had to pick it up. And we have been given this faith, these stories, this beauty, this complexity, this faith, it has been passed down from generation to generation for thousands of years. And the mission has always been the same. Bless everyone. Everyone gets to be included. Do everything you can to include everyone in the love and the blessing of God. The point has always been the same. But too often and for too long, people have stopped short of full and total inclusion and embrace. And I just, <laughs> I refuse I refuse to pass down this faith 
one more generation without it being a fully inclusive and loving environment for everyone. I refuse to stop short of the mission that God has called us. I will not stop until I get to Canaan. I will not stop short. I just refuse. And the invitation for you today is to not stop short of full inclusion, to go all the way there, to say, I'm going to do everything I can to include everyone. Don't settle someplace else before you get there. So on behalf of those who have been traditionally marginalized by the church, don't stop short. On behalf of those who have been silenced in their pain, don't stop short. On behalf of those who have been evangelized to when they needed a hot meal or a place to sleep, don't stop short. On behalf of those who are coming behind you to pick up this faith, don't stop short. The mission is the same. The goal is the same. The foundational idea has never changed. Everyone is included in the love and the mission of God. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today. Be reminded that you are worthy to receive the love and the blessing of God. You are included. And your neighbors and friends and family and your coworkers and your enemies are worthy to receive the love and the blessing of God, they are included. So join in the sacred work of co-creating a world where everyone is always included. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.